On today's show, we do a deep dive on potential Houston Rockets head coach Ime Odoka with the host of Locked On Celtics, John Corrales. We'll take a look at his strengths, his weaknesses, offensive and defensive philosophy, how he focused on development of the young guys over with the Boston Celtics, all that and more coming up right here at Locked On Rockets. This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, Alperon Shengun, and Jabari Smith Jr., T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, Native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, at the gym, on your lunch break. Slacking off from work. Thank you for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Celtics, none other than John Corrales, the man himself, to help us break down and try to understand a little bit more about Ime Odoka, one of the potential head coaches or potential next head coach of your Houston Rockets. John, are you ready to break down some Ime Odoka here? It's been, it's been a while since you've had to talk about Odoka. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's all of a sudden... I'm getting to know a lot of Houston people who are like, hey, wait a second. Uh, we we want to know about this guy. So, yeah, let's talk about him. Yeah, well, let's just start off here. Just kind of big, big picture, broad strokes. I mean, how would you best define Udoka's coaching tenure with the Celtics? I mean, it was it was a really successful year. Um, I think I think he brought a level of um, discipline, accountability to the team. Um, and, and it was an evolution because he was still a first time head coach. And there was a, you know, a story about him being prodded by Damon Stoudemire and others to really hold the feet to the fire of his stars. And, and I think there was a film session in the middle of the season, January or so, where he just really lit into those guys and, and I think that's where things started to turn around. He will hold everybody accountable. He is a hard-nosed guy. He'll make no secrets about how he feels. He's not one to sugarcoat things, even in the media. So he's a, he's a straightforward guy who believes in defense first and effort and accountability. You know, I'm glad you bring that up because I, I think that when we look at, you know, I think maybe one of the concerns with Udoka is like, okay, was it flash in the pan success, right? You know, such a, you mm-hmm. know, one quick little stint as a head coach, you know, obviously a lot of success in that year, but one of the other areas that I'm a bit maybe concerned about is how much of that success do you feel like you can actually attribute directly to Ime versus the supporting cast that he had around him, right? You mentioned Stoudemire's name, but then he also had Will Hardy, Joe Missoula, guys who have gone on to have a lot of success. Obviously, Will Hardy with the Jazz sure. starting off, you know, really hot this year, a lot of success there, and then Joe Missoula now filling in as the Celtics head coach. I mean, how where where do the line where does where does Ime Udoka stop and the assistant coaching staff begin? I guess or vice versa. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a, a big kind of 
stew. It's a big kind of, you know, jambalaya. Every ingredient in there was is just as important. Uh, can you tell I need to go have some lunch? The, the, <laughs> the thing about Ime, he built a staff full of his kind of Portland friends or uh, Will and, Hardy. And he picked that staff, right, himself? He picked that staff. The, the, there were a couple of holdovers that the Celtics insisted on. Um, and one of them was Joe Missoula. And so he, but mostly his staff were, was guys he was comfortable with guys from, you know, the old hood, the old pickup games. Uh, he, he brought along Will Hardy from San Antonio, who he was an assistant coach with for a while. So there was a comfort level there. They could talk to each other. And if he, wherever he gets to be head coach next, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he brings some of those guys with him. Now, obviously Damon Stoudemire is going off to coach Wake Forest. So he's not leaving that job, but he he might bring some of these guys with him after he may, uh, where he gets hired, you know, Joe Missoula has to put his own staff together. So there, there's going to be some kind of shakeup there. But anyway, to answer your question more directly, it, it is a little bit of everybody. You saw Will Hardy up constantly during games, talking to Ime on the sidelines about substitutions, about time, about, you know, whatever they, they had on their game plan, he, they were talking. But it was also the players. You, you know, you had Jason Taylor and Jalen Brown. Al Horford was, was back and, and playing really, really well. Marcus Smart, as the point guard, really kind of blossomed. You, you had a lot of players. Grant Williams had a great shooting year. So, so it was a little bit of everybody. But Ime tied it together with his approach with that defense first attitude, with that toughness, he turned the Celtics into, I think, the best road team in the NBA. He he was a stated goal to get that mental toughness. We talked about it in the preseason last year to say he wanted that road warrior mentality. He really wanted to instill, it doesn't matter where we play. And so you definitely saw that kind of influence. So it was a bit of everybody. Certainly the assistants were part of the mix. Certainly the star players were part of the mix. But you could definitely see Ime's influence there in, in tying it all together. I want to get into some of the offensive and defensive kind of philosophy, the X's and O's stuff on the court. But I want to ask this next question, kind of the caveat, if you could, you know, if you have an answer or, or two that don't involve the X's and O's, how would you identify Ime's biggest strength and his biggest weakness as a coach without getting into the specific X's and O's on the actual basketball yeah. court? I think I think the biggest strength is his kind of direct nature and his history of, you know, he, he spent his entire NBA career as a role player, grinder, kind of bouncing around from team to team, trying to cobble a, a living together. He had to work so for it. He had to work his butt off. And almost everybody that he coaches, no matter where he goes, is more talented than he was as a basketball player, but no one is is would have outworked him, and he had to learn all these aspects of the game, which makes him a pretty strong kind of basketball tactician. He's played a lot of positions, he's coached a lot of positions. He he kind of knows the game really really well. A weakness might be a little bit of a stubbornness that comes with that. The you know there's a little bit of a I don't want to say a cockiness or anything like that. Cause he doesn't carry himself that way, but he has a strong confidence in what he does. And 
if if you don't follow it, this is the good and the bad, right? It's both sides of the same coin. It's something that he brings to a team where you need it, but if you don't follow it, there's there's a question about whether he's willing to kind of give on certain things. Uh, but he he does tend to get a lot out of the guys that he's coaching. Coming up, we're going to get into the offensive and defensive philosophies of Ime Odoka, how we can expect him to translate some of those philosophies to the Houston Rockets. We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits exactly right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, thanks for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day. Let's go ahead and dive back into our conversation with John Corrales from Locked on Celtics. When when we're looking at email, right? I, you know, I think it's it's fair to kind of, and you've already done this a couple times, right? Uh, in some of your previous answers, basically, he's a defensive kind of guy, right? That's how I look yeah. at him, right? Defense first kind of coach. But in today's NBA, it very much feels like you know we're we're far gone from like the days of like the Jeff Van Gundys and whatever guys who are you know only X and they can't coach the other side of the floor, or whatever. Sure. How would you best define his kind of offensive and defensive philosophy as a coach and, and what we saw out of the Celtics last season with him at the helm? Well, I think what you're seeing. He's he's a product of Greg Popovich and the Spurs, and he won a championship with that 2014 Spurs team, which is kind of the pinnacle of modern NBA basketball, along with maybe a couple of those Golden State teams, which played in a very similar way. It's it's that .5 basketball that he really, really wants to emphasize. And you know, when you look at the Rockets, when it was a whole lot of ISO and individual stuff. This is, no, 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 no. That's the opposite. He's going to be breaking a lot of habits. So breaking habits is a big thing. You're going to talk about, you're going to hear him talk about that if he's hired in Houston, wherever he's hired. Breaking habits is going to be a big thing, but especially with these young guys, because he wants them reading, reacting, making decisions. You catch the ball. You're either, if you don't have a shot, then if do you have a drive, if you don't have a drive, then you better pass it and do something else. And the collective makes the team better. So he wants an offense that flows where everybody is moving. Everybody's making quick decisions. And the theory there is that that the collective will raise everybody's games. And I, I have you know personally believe that as well, where I say if, if the right the players make the right plays and, the, and, and, and you make the right decisions, the right guys will get the right stats. And I think that's the the offensive strategy for Ime Udoka. Defensively, I, before I just really quick before we get to the defensive side, I, I'm, I was chuckling as you were explaining that because it, it at least philosophically that kind of matches what Steven Silas wanted to try and accomplish with this young Rockets team with the idea of a read and react offense, free flowing, share the basketball, move the ball, you know, side to side across the court, that kind of thing. 
and, you know, passing up, you know, good looks for better looks, that kind of, you know, at least trying to instill sure. that level of unselfish play. But one of the issues, one of the biggest problems that with this season is it very much felt like this Rockets team is so young, so inexperienced that that level of freedom within an offense was actually kind of almost like put them in deer in headlights where at times they didn't know what decisions to make. They weren't sure, okay, do I attack? Yeah. Do I pass? Do I shoot? Do I do? And one of the biggest things that we were clamoring for all season long was more structure, more of a hierarchy, more of a predetermined, hey, you're going to walk up and run this play, then this play, then this. Sure. Basically a more heavy-handed approach, at least on the offensive end. And then I will say that, you know, there are a couple of things. If somebody doesn't want to do what Ime's doing, then he'll challenge them. And and I tell you what, no one wants to fight Ime Udoka. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a big dude. Um, he's like, he's what, 6'8", 240? Like, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's he's like, yeah, like 6'6", six, 6'8". Six, six, he's, he's a big dude. Um, he's got a glare to him. He's got an attitude to him. Like you want to, you want to throw, <laughs> you know, let's throw. Um, so that's, that's kind of the vibe I get from Ime. but also, you know, he had one year head coaching with the Boston Celtics and he had Jason Tatum to play with and Jalen Brown to play with and Marcus smart. It's a long time established point guard to play with. And so the way he coaches the rockets might not be the same. So I'm telling you what I saw, but he's smart enough to understand. He's been around the league to understand that you do have to be adaptable. You can still have the core principles, but you have to be adaptable. And, and I'm not saying that he wouldn't throw in more plays just to say, okay, here's how I'm going to get you to do this stuff. I'm going to put some training wheels on. But I think there might be some level of freedom where go make your mistakes. We'll correct it in film session. And he just has that cachet in the film session to challenge guys and be like, you do this. And if somebody gives him some attitude back, then he'll get that attitude back twofold from Ime and, and he will get these guys in line. Or if he doesn't, he'll tell the front office, be like, this guy ain't getting it. And then you have to make decisions. Okay. All right. I, I, and I, I, I like that because I think that, that that almost feels like the antithesis to what was going on with Steven Silas, where I think he wanted to employ this, you know, this system, whatever, but didn't necessarily have the cachet that you're talking about to get the players to kind of buy into what he was trying to accomplish. I didn't want to cut you off in the middle, though, because I do want to hear about the defensive side of things and kind of his philosophy, at least on that end. Yeah, it's it's a very hard nosed kind of fight through the switching a lot with with the Celtics. They switched everything. There was no zone. They played seriously, like, I think they went to zone maybe once or twice. They don't, you, they just believe in, with the Celtics personnel, they went double big. They went with Rob, Robert Williams back there to protect the rim. They might have sacrificed a little bit on the offensive side, but th with their spacing, but they were able to be the top defense in the league by a mile. Uh, and, and I, I just think he believes in putting in that effort defensively. And I think the offense flows off the defense. I think a lot of times in today's NBA, especially with younger teams, the, the defense flows off the offense. We, are you out there? Are you scoring? Great. If you're scoring and you're feeling good about yourself, then you get back on defense and you want to get that ball back because you're feeling it and you want to get back down and score again. He wants to make it. We want to defend at all costs, and we're going to let our defense dictate our offense. We're going to let our defense get the turnovers and, and put the other team in, in a bad spot. So 
it's going to be a very tough, hard-nosed thing. But again, it was with the Celtics. And the Celtics personnel, you have a very small sample size. And the Celtics personnel is very different than what the Rockets personnel will be. So it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts and, and who he has on his staff. Maybe you do see more zone from him. I'd be surprised because I think he's an old school guy and he probably sees zone as a, a, a form of weakness. But the NBA is what it is right now. And, and if you're going to win games and if zone's going to help you win games, I think, number one, he wants to win. And, and so he'll, he'll do whatever it takes. But given his druthers, he wants you to fight through screens or switch and, and be really physical. I'll tell you the quick story. When Derek White was traded to Boston, he, we were asking him about, like, how, how is he being integrated? And he goes, you know, we, we got to get him to be more physical and, and not be afraid to take a foul here and there because in the San Antonio system, it was always no fouls, don't foul at all. Ime wants you to be physical to a point where, hey, you pick up two, three fouls, not a big deal, but get in there and, and, and get your body on somebody. So you're definitely going to see that influence no matter what. Coming up, how did Ime Odoka handle development of young talent during his tenure with the Boston Celtics? We'll take a look at that, plus rounding out the corners on this potential head coaching candidate. All that and more coming up here in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. How are you feeling about Emi Odoka as a potential next head coach of your Houston Rockets? Give us your thoughts in the YouTube comments down below. I, I am curious, though, John, how did Emi handle the development, if any, of some of the younger guys on the Celtics roster? And a, kind of an, ex an extension of this, or just to double down on the question, it's not like Tatum and Brown are like, old superstars, right? They're younger sure. kind of star players. So I think they kind of also fit into that question a little bit. Yeah, I think Jason Tatum is a great example because he challenged Jason Tatum, especially to become a playmaker. Uh, I think Tatum's role the first few years he was in Boston was just straight score. You're our primary scorer. Get out there, score your points. He challenged Tatum to be a guy that handles the ball a lot more. The ball is in his hands to start possessions. He's drawing the defense. Use your gravity to make your teammates better. The only way an NBA superstar is going to be that championship-level superstar is if he makes his teammates better. It's not good enough to go out there and average 30 points a game if you're not using the gravity of your ability to score 30 points to set up your teammates, then you're wasting your talent. And I think that was the biggest challenge to... Uh, for, from Ime to anybody on the team. It's to take a guy with a certain mindset like Tatum and say, hey, you, you're you going to have to start averaging like five, six assists a game. And he started doing it. He, he really started getting more comfortable as a playmaker. And, and now you're seeing, even now, in the playoff series against the Hawks, Tatum making plays. So it, it definitely is developing. And, and Jalen to a lesser degree, but also Jalen as a playmaker. Like when he's out there, he has to be a guy aware of his teammates to make them better. So that that's, that's I think, the biggest example of development is understanding who has the talent to do what and, and putting it on that, that player or multiple players to get out of their comfort zone. If Ime thinks this guy is capable of doing something that he's not doing, he will challenge that guy and he whatever it is, if it's a passer that needs to score more, 
or vice versa. A non-rebounder who should be rebounding. Uh, a non-defender who is capable of defending. Any of those things, wherever he sees somebody capable of doing something that they're not, he will challenge that player to do it. You mentioned this a little bit earlier when talking about some of the, the locker room cachet and if a player's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, he might, you know, take take a couple steps down the down the hallway <laughs> to the front office and be like, hey, get this guy out of here. It's not working out. Um, how, how would you best kind of identify his relationship with the front office during his tenure as head coach and kind of, you know, were they off in, in alignment? Did it seem like everybody was on the same page and that there was mm-hmm. no like bumps in the road as far as that's concerned? No, he was, everything was great, you know, up until, you know, he had his, his, uh, you know, dalliance, but, uh, from a basketball perspective, I mean, his, in his introductory press conference, he said, he, you know, Brad Stevens, his, his now boss, but the former coach is right there. He's like, yeah, you guys were last in assists last year. We got to change that. And it was like, whoa, man, <laughs> right away. But that, that's just who he is. Um, I don't think there was any butting of heads. I think he's just a straightforward guy. He he's, I, I, I personally, I like this about people. I like this quality about people. If something's bugging you, you say it. So if you got something to say, you say it and you work through it. If there's a problem between two people, you don't let it fester. You address it head on and then you be done with it. And I think that's kind of how he approaches everything. People above him, people below him. If there's an issue, you tackle it. You get past it and you're done. And then you move on. You don't take anything personally. You fix it. You move on. You're done. How have the Celtics this year uh, under Missoula? And it's obviously the dynamics a little bit weirder, right? It's not like they, you know, went and, you know, outside hired a different coach. Obviously things happened, you know, right before training camp, right before the season even started, they kind of were almost forced to go with an in-house person. Although I think it's pretty safe to say Missoula did a pretty solid job this year, all things considered, Mm -hmm. kind of just being thrown into the, you know, into the uh, driver's seat, I guess, very last minute. Do you think the Celtics are right now a better off team than had Udoka just returned this year as the head coach? Obviously, you know, you have to take into consideration all the stuff that did happen yeah. off the court, but just from a on-the-court basketball perspective, are they better I, off or are they worse off without Udoka? I, I mean, man, that's so hard because I, I think I think all things being equal, if if, if yeah, I can sit here and honestly say, and it's not a knock on Joe Missoula, but I can honestly say I would have rather had Ime Udoka for the continuity, for the just carrying on that same attitude. And you just don't want to have big major changes like that. That said, you know, Joe Missoula is figuring things out. But look, it's a, it's a kind of unfair situation for, for Joe because he... He was kind of, they, they were forced to choose him. Not that he wasn't a good choice, but all of this happened and came to a head right before the season started. Will Hardy was gone, but I don't even know if Will Hardy would have gotten the job because you, maybe because he was enough separation because he wasn't like childhood friends. None of the Portland guys were able to get the job because he didn't want to have a, any perception of coaching, email coaching through somebody. So those guys were all out. Will Hardy, I don't know what that would have been, but he left anyway. So you needed an in-house guy. And basically, Joe Mazzulla was kind of the only guy left. He had had a little bit of head coaching experience. He's a really great mind. And he, is, he has, some, ha, has the respect of the team. Team is willing to follow him. He's very focused and driven. But all that said, 
he's been in the league for only a few years. And prior to that, he was head coach at a D2 school. Ime is, as I said at the beginning of all of this, longtime NBA player. Guys respect how he grinded his way into an NBA career. They respect all of the work he put into in a long assistant coaching career. He has coached and been around all sorts of personalities. Winning situations in uh, San Antonio. Disappointing situations in Philadelphia. Superstar situations in, in Brooklyn that didn't quite work out. He has seen a ton. And the guys respected that. So, yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm being disrespectful to Joe Mazzulla by saying I would have rather had that guy than Joe Mazzulla. But that said, Joe Mazzulla has, has done a really, really good job. Um, my only question is when in the playoffs, when coaching becomes a factor and it's if it's a game seven and it's Mike Budenholzer who's been there against Joe Mazzulla and all of a sudden some wrinkle comes in, I, I have questions about whether Joe Mazzulla is going to handle that. I wouldn't have had questions about whether Ime was going to handle that. So, you know, it's it's tough. I, I think that it's really disappointing the way Ime conducted himself at a personal level. But at the same time, he also didn't break any laws. He just broke team policy. So I'm not opposed to him getting another chance. I assume he'd get another chance with a bit of a more strict morals clause in his contract. But outside of that, I think whoever gets him is getting an absolute stellar head coach in the NBA. TBD on the strict moral clause in Udoka's possible Rockets contract. John, I really appreciate the thorough breakdown on what Udoka might be bringing to the table if he were to be hired by the Houston Rockets. Do me a favor. Let all our listeners know where they can track you down at if they want to you know, learn more about the Boston Celtics and kind of see what coverage you bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, starts on Twitter at John underscore Corrales for however long that infrastructure holds up. Uh, I, my writing is at Boston Sports Journal. Uh, my podcasting is at the Lockdown Celtics podcast and on Wednesdays, the Lockdown NBA podcast. And uh, yeah, that's about it. And assorted other outlets whenever somebody wants to hire a former Celtics head coach. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Give us your thoughts on email Doka in the YouTube comments. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.